This is WGRE 91.5 FM, Greencastle, Indiana. Good evening and welcome to Music for Life, music from DePaul. In this episode, we gear up for our spring semester with conversations with saxophone professor Scotty Stepp, who gave winter term students an introduction to instrument repair. Orchestra director Orsina Smith, along with the Paws Chamber Orchestra, presented a concert tour across Germany and Austria over winter term. Band director Craig Paré stops by to tell us about the third annual DePaul University Honor Band. And faculty cellist Eric Edberg, jazz director Steven Snyder, and students who represented DePaul come in to tell us about their amazing performance at the White House last month. There are lots of exciting things going on in the DePaul School of Music, and we're glad you could join us for Music for Life. Our chamber symphony has just returned from an international tour, jet-lagged and weary and right into the opera pit. And here to join me to chat about the tour is their conductor, Orsina Smith, and one of the members of the orchestra, bassist Jacob Peterman. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Now that you've had a couple of days sleep, do you know what day it is? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about it. Where all did you get to go? Well, the tour was originally planned to focus on Salzburg and Vienna, so we did actually go there, but we got a nice start in Bavaria playing in Oberammergau, Germany, where the Passion Play is done every 10 years, and it was a beautiful setting with the Alps and the snow. It is beautiful. And then from there off to Salzburg, where we had a concert planned in one of the leading conservatories of Europe, the Mozarteum. And uh, it was a very modern room with a glass background to the stage where the city of Salzburg could be seen behind the orchestra. So it was quite a beautiful city. Is that your first time to Salzburg, Jacob? Yes. Beautiful city, isn't it? Probably my favorite city we visited. I think that's probably true. One of my favorite cities in the whole world. How long did you have there? Two days. Coming from Oberammergau, we arrived. We left in the morning from there, got to the city, warmed up, played the concert, had the rest of the day off, and then a free day the next day for a guided tour and then the students to have some free time. Yeah, just a real beautiful view from up there and the city of Mozart and so many fantastic opportunities there. We went to Mozart's birth house and had a number of other tour elements. Some of the students, of course, wanted to make sure that they paid homage to the sound of music Uh uh, and went on a guided (laughs) tour of that. (laughs) You know, the last time I was there, there was a young elementary school from Japan who was there, and the kids were acting out every scene from (laughs) The Sound of Music. No matter where you went, you would see these little Japanese fifth graders singing uh, to their heart's content. You saw that too. You saw a little of The the Sound of Music thing going on Well, some of us went on a four-hour tour. Um, so you got on a bus and then went to every single place in Salzburg where mm-hmm. they filmed the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there were five. Mm-hmm. I did not go, but five of us went. That's cool. Just came back and were thrilled and singing the whole time. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then moved on from there. Into Vienna. Into Vienna. And, and in between, we went to a rural community called St. Leonard am Forst, where there was a community uh, room which was called the Folks House, the Folks Room, and we were feted to the sense of humor of the rural leadership in the town, and the audience gave us a standing ovation, and they gave us hats. Hats. So we all have hats, baseball caps, that say (laughs) St. Leonard, I'm forced. Wow, that's cool. That's pretty neat. That's very neat. And then finally the big gig, right? Yes. The students had done a good job putting together the funding through a Kickstarter campaign to be able to afford us the opportunity to play in the Brahmsaal, which is a beautiful chamber music room in the Musikverein in Vienna. 
and it was really a dream for many of the students. And so we got a chance to do some sightseeing that day and then kind of get our minds around the fact that we were going to be playing there. And I'll let Jacob speak a little bit about it, I guess. <laughs> the room is beautiful, mm-hmm. giant rectangular room. And I've never played in a space like it before. And the audience was so receptive of the music. Mm-hmm. I know that some of us were a little worried because they, I don't remember if it was the Vienna Philharmonic or another group like that was playing right across the hall at the same time. <laughs> so we were a little worried and jealous that we couldn't yeah, see them. Right, right. But there were community members. There were several students who were studying internationally there oh, who came to see us. I think the only issue there was there were two giant columns on stage. Mm-hmm. So that was a little finicky working that out. But it yeah. was beautiful it's a beautiful space. space. It really mm-hmm. is. And Vienna, the city of musicians, there's a widely experienced and very intelligent audience to be had there. Yeah, I think it got summarized by the manager of the room, Klaus Kren, who we had dealt with in budgetary issues, just preparing to be there and reading the contract in German and making sure that all the (laughs) I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. And he met us as we came into the room, and he talked a little bit to the orchestra about how they were the first orchestra ever to fund a concert in this famous place using uh, a crowdsourcing the Kickstarter campaign and how proud we should be of that. Uh, 21 the, CM come to life. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, the students were very focused on the seriousness of purpose in being there. And after the concert, we played several encores and the audience was very receptive, as Jacob said, that uh, Herr Kren came to me and said, I just want you to know, Mr. Smith, that you and your orchestra are welcome to play here anytime. That's terrific. So it's a validation, I think, in one of the world's greatest musical cities that the quality that we brought there was at a very high standard. It was a great trip. We're glad you guys were able to do it. Congratulations on your many successes, and thanks for coming in to chat about it. Thank thank you. you. From the Student Recital Hour of Wednesday, December 10th, 2014, bassoonist Andrew Wilkie and pianist Nicholas Reynolds perform the Rondo, from Johann Hommel's Grand Concerto for Bassoon and Orchestra in F Major.
term is a special time at DePaul where people have the opportunity to travel abroad, to take on a new interest, to do a deep dive into something that might benefit them in their career. Professor Scotty Stepp has brought something to winter term the past few years that's been remarkably appealing to our students, and that's an instrument repair class. And so I've asked Professor Stepp and some students to come join me. Welcome. My name is Scotty Stepp. I'm the saxophone professor here at DePaul, and one offering this winter term class for instrument repair. I'm Rebecca Byers. I'm a junior music education major. I'm Kira McManus, and I'm a freshman music education major. I'm going to flip this and start with the students. What prompted you guys to take this course? Well, I have always been interested in just like the way that instruments work, but even more importantly for me, because I want to be a teacher, I know that knowing how to fix instruments and having a deep understanding of how each instrument works and what you can do in order to Further, the student's ability to play the instrument has always been important, and I'm looking forward to being able to take the knowledge that I've learned in this class towards my future. Great. Rebecca, what prompted you to take the course? I've been trying to take this course for the past three years, and this was the first time I was actually able to get into it. But I was really interested in this course, like Kira said, like, you know, to have a fuller understanding of how instruments work, but to add this ability into my music education toolkit, like, you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to provide very quickly a repair or an opportunity to teach students how their instruments work and like, you know, show them how to fix something really easy, like a pad or something. And it just gives you that opportunity to better understand and be that quick and that prepared for the future. Yeah, nothing's worse than being in rehearsal and suddenly a kid comes up and goes, I can't push this <laughs> button down or, you know, this yeah. doesn't, this, my pad fell out or the string came disconnected or whatever. And having that ability to say, I can fix this right now on the spot, get us back in rehearsal instead of sending it off to the shop for two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's a great experience. What prompted you to offer this course, Scott? Well, I had the opportunity in my undergraduate degree to to be able to take an instrument repair course, and it was invaluable in in understanding my instrument and how it worked. And certainly over the years, you know, the private lessons that I've taught, it's been so nice to be able to try somebody's saxophone or clarinet and say, oh, it's not working because of this, instead of having that turnaround time, sending it into the repair shop and then getting it back. And so I guess that's kind of my background from the instrument repair area, but I think when I was thinking of offering it as a course, you know, so many of these music education students are getting their initial jobs or jobs at smaller schools Mm -hmm. where there isn't much funding, certainly Mm -hmm. if any funding at all, and so they're basically they're stuck with whatever instruments are on site, and so often there's no money to send them off to get repaired, so this is going to give them the opportunity to get these instruments in working order, you know, before they can, you know, once they're trying to get their program going, getting some fundraising Mm -hmm. happening so they can actually get these things professionally repaired. So I think it's invaluable in that respect for a beginning teacher to be able to have these skills. And like you said, right before a concert, you don't have time to send it off to instrument repairman (laughs) then, so, you know, you've got to be able to fix it. And so this course is not a, here's how you fix something quickly necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's, I require the students to take pretty much clarinet, saxophone, flute completely apart. Um, They completely disassemble the instruments. They learn how to replace pads. They learn how to replace springs, tenon corks, neck corks. So they get all those skills. And then, you know, on the spot, if there's something happens before a concert, then 
they're going to have the skills, okay, I can just do this really quickly and then fix it permanently later. And then we also work on brass instruments. We learn how to unstick valves and slides and pull um, a mouthpiece. Uh, pull a mouthpiece, <laughs> absolutely one of the most invaluable skills that, you know, is almost a daily basis for a lot of music, music teachers. Rebecca, for example, is, uh, well, I'll let her tell you, to tell them about your French horn experience now. Uh, my final project for this course was to take all of the DePaul-owned French horns and to completely take them apart, fix corrosion, um, fix the valves, and clean the rotors, and unstick every slide to make it into a working order French horn. And there was 11, I think, I fixed in this past week. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you do it blindfolded? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Winter term lends itself nicely to this because there's so much stuff. You know, like if you were teaching this during the school day and you had an hour, you know, you never get it done because all this stuff is out. So I walk by early in the mornings and all these tables are lying about right. and it looks like the <laughs> instrument operating room yep. and there are several patients on the table <laughs> and they get left overnight that way and picked up the next morning. So it's right. important to have a all day, every day to kind of deal with it. Absolutely, because it's all about that repetitiveness of doing it, just like, you know, when we practice our instrument. If you haven't done it many times, you do it once and then, you know, you go two or three years before you get your job, right. you're gonna yeah. struggle remembering exactly how to do things. So we've gotta have that repetitiveness built in the class. So winter term is absolutely perfect for that setup. It's a great opportunity for our students. It gives them a leg up when they're out. I'm glad you're offering the class and thank you all for coming in to chat about it. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Joe Flummerfeld, and you're listening to Music for Life. Our next interview actually took place before this afternoon's concert at three o'clock. And we hope that you were able to take that concert in and that you enjoyed it as much as I did. We're gonna back up a few days and we're going to bring to the studio Dr. Paré to talk about our third annual honor band in our next clip. Each year, the DePaul University School of Music hosts an honor band, and this is our third annual effort in this, and here to chat with me about it is our honor band conductor and our own band director here at DePaul, Dr. Craig Perret. Welcome, Craig. Thank you, Dr. McCoy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You've hit the ground running right back into this and already assembling these people from all over Indiana to come together and perform. Yes, we have students from 11 schools that are joining us for the weekend. That's fantastic. And it grows each year. Year. Yes, it does. As this is our third year, we seem to attract more students and more directors are aware of this as an annual event. And I think early in the year, they start to prompt their students to remember that. I'm sure that directors throughout the year let the students know about the IMEA, about the ISMA Solo Ensemble and large ensemble contests and, and opportunities like this for their exceptional students. So how does one get into the DePaul University Honor Band? Uh, students are nominated by their directors. Early in the fall, we send a reminder out to the directors about the honor band and the procedure online that they can use to nominate any of their students. Mm -hmm. uh, what we do is we take all the students in, and based on trying to balance an ensemble, we select the students for that ensemble. So it's like an all-star group. Yes. And so this has got to be a great experience for those kids because they're the best in their high schools and they're surrounded by folks who are the best in their high schools. Yes. So it's, it's like playing on the all-star team. I think they look for opportunities like this. As mm -hmm. I get to know directors and have over the years that I've been here in Indiana, their students really enjoy not only participating in the musical opportunities or in organizations at their schools, but regularly, especially if they're thinking toward college, really like to take part in all state honor bands, county band festivals, opportunities that take them beyond what their own school mm -hmm. ensembles do. And ours is a little unique in that we kind of do ours as a side-by-side -side as well. Yes, 
I mean, always invite the uh, university band members, the ones that are available, to come join us and sit in for that day and a half of rehearsals. So that's a great experience that you don't often get. So basically, a high school kid comes in, and not only are they surrounded by the all-stars from other high schools, but they're actually sitting next to college kids who are significantly more advanced as players. Yes, and every indication I've seen so far is that they really enjoy getting to know the college students and hearing them next to them. And so what's on the program? What I normally do is select a list of repertoire to be selected from. These include Americans We by Fillmore. Uh, try to include some fun music that they might not normally play. It's one arrangement called Big Band Bash, mm-hmm. arranged by Bob Loden. Almighty and the Mysterium. I always really like to include a piece with organ for us, so Alleluia Ladamos tape of Alfred Reed is going to be included, wow. too. And about three or four other works that will, as we go through the weekend, decide whether we have the time to be able to perform or not. Actually, on this one program, you're mm-hmm. playing two of my very favorite pieces of all to conduct, which is Americans We and mm-hmm. Omanu Mysterium. Mm-hmm. Students really react to both of those pieces. They do. When I put a program together, I try to think of larger picture of, of a march, something that ha- a tone or a sound piece I think of, something that's lively, something they would really enjoy. So I try to cover a gamut of types of music and then also try to choose music or pieces that they probably haven't done with right. their directors. How much time do they have to put this together? We rehearse most of Saturday. We have a long rehearsal on Saturday morning till lunch, a longer one in the afternoon, a break for dinner, and then oh, about a two-hour rehearsal in the evening. And then the next morning, there's a rehearsal and master class with our applied faculty in each individual instrumental studio, and then kind of a put-together wrap-up type of a rehearsal before the concert. That's a lot to cover in just two days. It is. We send out music at least two weeks in advance, so that way the students get a chance to look at it. And again, I try to select music that is a good variety of styles, but also something that I think is accomplishable Mm -hmm. within that day and a half. Mm -hmm. I've done enough county band festivals and honor bands uh, that it's got to be a nice variety of music that they'll enjoy making music with but also something that isn't too far beyond their technical limitations. Right. So it's got to be that fine line of being challenging and exciting and interesting, but not so much so that you can't pull it off in that incredibly compressed Mm -hmm. rehearsal space. And it's particularly fun with these types of groups because the distance they travel from the very first rehearsal to the concert, which is only a day later, Mm -hmm. is really remarkable. Mm -hmm. They've come a long way in a short period of time. And if they don't get excited or really enjoy the music, it's... A rather dull weekend for them. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be great fun. You've got a great program chosen. It's going to be fantastic. And thanks for coming in to chat about it. Thank you. From the Student Recital Hour of Wednesday, December 10th, 2014, pianist Eric Heaton performs the third movement, Un Sospiro, from the Trois Etudes de Concert, S144, by Franz Liszt.
I'm Caroline Shaw, and you're listening to Music for Life. The DePaul University School of Music got a big surprise last semester when we were invited to the White House to perform. We had submitted four recordings, hoping that they would choose one and invite us to perform. Instead, they chose all four. On December 20th of last year, four chamber groups from DePaul went to the White House and provided a full day of music. It was a great experience, and I have a collection of staff and students in the studio with me to chat about that with me. Joining me in the studio... My name is Catherine Anderson Quinones, and I'm a cello performance major here at DePaul. I'm Eric Edberg. I'm the cello professor. I'm Stephen Snyder. I teach in the jazz area. I'm Kazuki Hinado. I'm music major. I play cello, and I'm waiting to decide whether to do performance major or not. Okay. So the recordings that we sent in were for a jazz combo, a cello ensemble, a string quartet, and our chamber singers. And amazingly, all four were chosen. The jazz ensemble had the most equipment to haul, were brought into a different space. You guys had a slightly different experience than the rest of us. Tell us a little bit, Steve, about what you guys did. Well, the rule at the White House is that there is a prohibition on electronic instruments. So that was somewhat of an adjustment for our bassist. Mm -hmm. So that was one issue. And given that we played in a place that was different than everybody else because that's where the piano was Mm -hmm. and we had a piano in our ensemble that hall was uh pretty much just marble yeah and a big (laughs) pretty live very live fortunately the place was packed so that it was suck up the reverberation a bit it did it helped the more people that were in there the uh the better that it went but the students adjusted fantastically they used the ears they listened and they they uh created a a level of sound that was appropriate for the venue, and I was real proud of them. And you guys had an extended gig, which I'll explain in a moment, but you guys were actually asked to play a little longer. We did, yes. So you went in expecting a 90-minute gig, and you got right. a uh, Maybe two, two hours or two and 15, yeah, something. Like yeah. That. How'd they handle that? They handled it beautifully. Yeah? Yeah, they were, uh, they were excited to be there. You know, there was a lot of energy getting to go to the White House in the mm-hmm. first place. And then once you're in there, and it's beautiful, and it's all decorated for Christmas, right, you know, right. and uh, there's a bunch of people that are milling about and enjoying what it is you're doing. They really fell in and uh, put some energy into it, and they enjoyed themselves. So I had the good fortune of taking the chamber singers in and listening to their two-hour set, and they, I mean, it was really moving, beautiful, you know, in the East Room, it was just wonderful, people just really taken by the performances. And then the Asbury String Quartet followed up right after that, so we had one of our string quartets go into play, which were equally beautiful. And then I was kind of away shepherding other groups when, in theory, the cello group was to perform. But Dr. Edberg, we had a bit of an experience there, did we not? Well, we did. We got to the northeast gate of the White House and gave our IDs over to the lady at the guardhouse. And then it turned out that there is a computer system that does the security background checks on everybody. And weeks in advance, the staff of the School of Music had sent in a document that had all our names and social security numbers and home addresses, everything that's on our government-issued IDs. Well, there are thousands of people who go through the White House per day. Right. Everybody's name has to go through this. Normally, if you haven't been invited by the White House, you've made arrangements through your congressman and the congressman's office is Senate. Well, sometimes <laughs> some names get lost in the <laughs> shuffle and our names hadn't been entered into the computer system. So an intern came out 
took our IDs and all the information they were going to have a staff person hand enter the information in and the computer system went down. And it took quite a while for that to get up and get things running. Yeah, the interesting thing was that we had submitted four different spreadsheets of each, you know, one of each group and everything was flawless. But for some reason, Chellis got jammed up and you guys had not been entered. That's right. So we stood outside in the cold for a while, and because we were because we uh, had we were staying only a few blocks from the White House, we dressed not in as many layers as we would have if we thought we would be standing at the gate for two hours. But there was a wonderful one. I mean, they did everything they could to take care of us. There was a wonderful intern named Chad who in particular was kind of shepherding us, he took us to a restaurant around the corner where they had called and talked to I love to that the restaurant, the Old Abbott Grill. Yeah, yeah, right, and we so we were able to warm up for a while. And then once they knew that, that we were going to be able to get in, they took us over. They actually took our cellos in first because the cellos had to be inspected and they had to call the bomb-sniffing dogs. Mm -hmm. And so before we got in, a white SUV with the dogs pulled up to the gate and went in and, <laughs> and, 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 and made sure that our cellos were just cellos. And, and it was remarkable because there was an awful lot happening. So at that moment in time, I was at Union Station with the chamber singers. The jazz group was in the White House performing and thinking their gig was ending. You guys were outside at the gate trying to get in, and everyone's cell phone battery was dying, and we were trying to connect with each other, and so we were coming up with plan B and C and D and E. The jazz guys kept it going for a little while. The cellos got in. You guys closed the show. It was a big hit, and everybody had a great time, and all's well that ends well, eh? Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, so once we got in, we we played, and, and it was such a thrill to play in the East Room of the White House. Mm -hmm. And then because of the delay, we initially, all the groups had a tour of the White House, mm -hmm. and all the other groups who played were a part of one of the public tours. Or And actually, there were that day, uh, a lot, a lot of, of the people touring were uh, political appointees mm -hmm. who had come in through a different gate, and we were told there were some kind of VIP people who had a similar delay at the other entrance to the White House. The White House had closed by the time we were done, so they gave us a private tour, which was really quite something, and I think Kat and Kazuki can probably tell us some about what it was like. So let me ask that to Kat and Kazuki, because we have we had we took 37 students on this trip. We have two of them in the studio with us. But what was this like from a student perspective, Kat? It was a really great lesson in being flexible, and it definitely kept us very alert. So by the time we got to our performance, we were just ready to play. And so it actually was quite helpful in getting all the nerves out, because there was after we'd been through so much, it was just... Now you were really ready easy. to play. Yeah, yeah. we're just really ready. Kazuki, <laughs> what was it like to get to perform in the White House? It was like um, experience of like feeling professional. We flew there, and once we got to D.C., there's this gorgeous hotel waiting for us, and it was something that I've never experienced as an undergrad. Yeah, you know, it really went remarkably well. We landed this hotel right next to the White House, so it was really easy to get in and out. We had... Great restaurants lined up. We were wheels down for like 30 hours. It was pretty quick, but it was a really remarkable opportunity for undergraduate mm -hmm. students. Well, how did your friends feel about it? Okay. We talked about it a little bit. It's just is quite unbelievable that this could happen at an undergraduate mm -hmm. level. And I know many of my other colleagues who are at other schools were very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> when we were in the green room, 
we walked into the green room to get ready and there's this big picture of Yo-Yo Ma playing at the White House and mm -hmm. DePaul and Yo-Yo have a very special relationship mm -hmm. so we felt like we were back at home again in a certain way and everybody was certain to get their picture taken next to Yo-Yo's picture in the White House <laughs> green room but everything certainly seemed to go very well would you agree? Uh, yeah, once, well, once <laughs> in we got end. in, it did, and it, and I think it was a thrill for all of us. I'm a kind of political junkie, and I, I loved the West Wing, and I'm kind of a White House buff, so <laughs> uh, it was especially great when we had this tour afterwards because they literally took down the, the ropes that they you right. know, usually keep people back, and so when we were in the China Room, for example, we were able to walk right up to the display cases that start with a set of dinnerware used by the Washingtons yeah. and go all the way up through the most recent President Bush. Yeah, and, the first and, thing we saw was Abraham Lincoln's China service. You know, it was yeah, right, right, amazing. right. It's really something. Some great jazz musicians have played the White House. Yeah, I think all of the great ones probably have at one time or another. And uh, you can see a lot of those performances uh, have been posted by people online. You can go mm -hmm. check it out. To be uh, one small part of that tradition is humbling. Yes, and all a very exciting, wonderful opportunity for us here at DePauw, and I'm glad you could all come in to chat about it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Looking forward to next month's Green Gust Artist Concert, from their CD, English Renaissance, the King's Singers perform Thomas Tallis's Lamentations of Jeremiah.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Music for Life. We love hearing from listeners. You can contact us by emailing musicforlife at depaw.edu. We're also on Facebook at DePaw Music for Life, and you can subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching there for DePaw Music for Life. 
Our student producers are Anna Gadula, Matt Skiva, Burke Stanton, Rachel Amalfitano, Hannah Gauthier, and Caleb Denning. Our 21CM graduate intern is Elika Okerstrom. Veronica Pedrel is our online editor, and our show is produced by Matthew Champagne in the Judson and Joyce Green Center for the Performing Arts at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'm Mark McCoy, Dean of the School of Music. Thank you for listening to our show. Keep music in your life and have a great week. It's music for life.